Let me start by welcoming you again uh, here to Uplift. And you know what? We record these messages and we put them on our podcast, Anchor Point. So don't forget, if you're here in person, you can catch this later. You can share it. But if you're listening on our podcast, I'm so glad that you're here. We are in a series called Questioning Jesus, where we are examining some of the questions that were asked of Jesus and specifically some of the questions that he answered. And in this week's question, we see a battle of wills. We see a contest between two worldviews. And the victor of this contest is not immediately assumed. And, you know, we may know the end of the story. There isn't necessarily, at this point, a foregone conclusion as the battle wages. And this is the battle. It's pretty simple. It's power versus influence. It's strength versus sway. Well, what's, what's the difference? Well, power, power is the use of will. It is the chief play of authority. Things happen because demands are met without question. And you know, power has its merits. Sometimes strong leaders with a clear vision need things accomplished in a certain way without dialogue or input. So let's give you an example. This is going to be rather elementary, but the use of power could sound like this. You know, I've got a wall in my office that needs to be painted blue. And you know what? I need you to paint this wall blue and I need it done by tomorrow. No exceptions. That's power. Now, influence is a little different. It's the use of persuasion. It takes more time than the use of power. Its weapons are inspiration and investment. So what does influence look like? Well, let's, let's take the same task of painting a wall blue. And the use of influence is going to be a little different. Instead of a demand, influence poses a question. So it might sound something like this. You know, what are your thoughts on painting this wall blue? And, and you know what? What shade of blue do you think we should use to paint this wall? And you know, I really need this wall painted by tomorrow. Do you think you can make that happen? Oh, great. And if, is there anything I can do to help you paint this wall blue? And you get the, you get the picture here. But here's, this is kind of critical. Both power and influence get the same outcome. They have the same purpose. They produce the same thing. Whereas, though, someone would see the use of influence as a good thing. It's community building. It's endearing. The one who utilizes power would see influence as a waste of time. And whereas someone would see the use of power as decisive, the one who utilizes influence would see it as cold and impersonal. So you see the difference. The clash between power and influence, it's ancient. It's been played out on battlefields in history. Now it's played out in boardrooms and offices. And both of these are on full display in Luke chapter 18 in the conversation surrounding tonight's question that was asked of Jesus. And the question is this, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, 
Before we see this battle in action between power and influence, we need to figure out why this question was asked in the first place. So let's take a little trip. Just prior to this question being asked, Jesus had an interaction with his disciples and with moms and with dads and with babies. And this interaction is actually the setup for the question. So let's read it. I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. Follow along. Now, now people were even bringing their babies to Jesus for Jesus to touch. But when the disciples saw it, they began to scold. They began to rebuke those who brought them. But Jesus called for the children, saying, Let the little children come to me, and do not try to stop them, for the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like a child, will never enter it. Now, you may not see this at first, but this is actually a really shocking scene. Parents brought their infants to Jesus for a blessing. Infant mortality was extremely high in the first century. And you know what? Jesus was already known to be a healer. So the moms and the dads brought their babies to Jesus as a preventative measure. They believed that his blessing would keep their children, their babies, alive. Jesus' disciples, though, knew all of this. They knew that babies rarely survived the first year. They thought this was just a waste of Jesus's time, so they decided to limit access to Jesus. Luke says that the disciples, and this is the word, rebuked both the parents and the babies. And that word, rebuke, is a word reserved for demon exorcisms in other places in Luke's gospel. In other words, this is almost frightening. The disciples saw this needy crowd of moms and dads and babies as Jesus saw demons. So Jesus's response was surprising. It was shocking. He asked for the children to be brought to him. And then he gave them the most supreme gift. He gave them the kingdom of God, the reign, the R-E-I-G-N, the reign of God. Now that sounds extremely nice, but what in the world is the kingdom of God? To the moms and the dads and the disciples and the crowds, the kingdom of God was the collective prize of every Jewish person. It was a community of righteous law followers living in a theocracy with a king. It was autonomous. It was favored. But Jesus's definition of the kingdom of God dramatically changed this. His definition did not accept the idea that law-following actions could be tallied on some scorecard toward righteousness. And then that righteousness of everyone in the community equaled unparalleled favor from the Creator. That's not what Jesus thought at all. In the person of Jesus, the kingdom of God would be different. I want you to listen to the words of two New Testament scholars, David Garland 
and Clinton Arnold as they describe the kingdom and the R-E-I-G-N, the reign of God. Listen to their quote. God's reign manifests itself in preaching and healing and can be compared to a seed sowed in the ground. It requires patient endurance to see its full effect. Humans do not bring in God's reign. Humans do not build God's kingdom. Humans do not hasten its final consummation or hinder its advance. Jesus' preaching announces that God is in action and that one's ultimate well-being is tied to what God is doing and not what they are doing. They can only receive it and enter it or reject it and be swept away in judgment. These babies in Luke chapter 18 received this reign, this kingdom. And what's startling is that they received it because of their deficits. They're helpless. They are potential victims of early death. They're overlooked and they're tolerated. They were obviously unworthy in light of the law with absolutely no way to earn points for following that law, but it didn't matter. They were given the gift of a lifetime without rules and regulations. In essence, Jesus, and this is critical, by giving them the kingdom, gave them freedom. He released them from expectations that could never be met. And it is this story that sets up our question found in the very next story in the Gospel of Luke. And this is where we find our first glimpse of power, because someone familiar with power asked this question. Let's read it. It's from Luke chapter 18, verse 15. A certain ruler asked Jesus, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Let's break this guy down for a minute and this question. Let's figure out what we know here about this guy. First, Luke calls him a ruler. Actually, Luke uses the word ruler eight times in the Gospel of Luke. And six of those times, he uses it in reference to Jewish religious leaders. There are also three politicians referred to as rulers in this Gospel. All of these rulers, religious and political, They are ruthless, power-hungry men. Luke, by calling this man a ruler, identifies this man as a man of power. Maybe, maybe even ruthless. Here's the second thing we know about this guy. He called Jesus good teacher. Don't get lost in the semantics here. This man is not complimenting Jesus because Jesus deserved it. He's complimenting Jesus in hopes that Jesus would return the favor. Reputation in Judea depended on this social give and take. Favors, compliments were not merely swapped. They were one-upped. Only a man arguing from a position of power 
would work in this type of circle, exploiting others for personal gain. He's trying to exploit Jesus here. And we know this because Jesus in the following verse takes offense to this compliment. The reign in the kingdom of God is not built with ladders of social honor and social merit. And we know this. We just heard Jesus teach that while holding these babies. Here's the third thing we know about this guy. We learn that his is a talent of acquisition. Just a few verses later in verse 23 of chapter 18, this ruler is identified as someone with incredible wealth. Upon hearing Jesus teach of babies receiving the reign of God, this guy wonders what kind of hope he has. The innocent without the power of acquisition will receive all that heaven has to offer in his ears. So the only thing he's thinking is, well, what about me? So he asks the only question that he knows, and you need to catch this. He asks, what can I do? What can I do? Because that's all he knows. All he knows is doing and earning and acquiring. Jesus' answer to this question is fairly straightforward. Even though this ruler has followed all of the Ten Commandments, at least the most basic of them, according to Jesus, he still lacks one critical action. Listen to these words. Read along with me in Luke chapter 18, verse 22. Jesus said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell everything you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, then come follow me. Did you catch that interesting dynamic here between these two stories? Jesus has just offered the kingdom of God, the gift of freedom from requirements to a group of babies. But then he makes a seemingly rather large requirement of this ruler. So what in the world is going on here? Well, this is the clash between strength and sway, between a ruler who just wants to use power and a savior who wants to use influence. In fact, it's right here where we see Jesus's use of influence at its finest. Let me explain this to you. Jesus's response, his answer to the ruler has everything to do with money. The Gospel of Luke actually includes the responses of a few other disciples concerning their money and wealth and their relationship with Jesus. All of these responses are a little different. Their only consistency is their inconsistency. I want to list these for you. I have to go all the way back to Luke chapter 5 to see the first, where we find the disciples, Peter, James, and John. It says that they left everything to follow Jesus. But they didn't literally leave everything. Peter, James, and John, these guys don't sell their fishing gear. They just walk away from it. And then a little later in Luke chapter 5, Levi, the tax collector, he also leaves everything. But then he gives a party for Jesus. It's a large party. There's a lot of guests. And he gives this party in his house. 
And then a little later after that, in Luke chapter 8, the ladies who followed Jesus used their wealth to provide for Jesus and his disciples. And then later than, than after that, in Luke chapter 9 and 10, Jesus' disciples were sent to preach with very few personal resources, but they're funded by the hospitality and the generosity of those they visited. In other words, Jesus does not require believers to be homeless and penniless. There is no reason to assume that either here with this ruler. Jesus' response, it's not about the ruler giving up all his money. It's about the ruler giving up all his power. Justo Gonzalez, in his commentary over the Gospel of Luke, says this. I love this. This is, his, this is what he writes. This gospel is not referring to a higher form of obedience or to a more perfect life. That would contradict much of what has been said to this point. And there is nothing one can do to merit the kingdom, which in fact belongs to those who cannot do much, such as the infants in the story immediately preceding. Gonzalez continues, thus in Luke's gospel, the one thing still lacking is precisely to come to the point where things are actually lacking. For the ruler to sell all he has and give it to the poor implies joining the ranks of the poor. What is lacking for him, Gonzalez concludes, what is lacking for him, what is lacking is for him to become like one of the powerless little children of the preceding story. Jesus doubles down on his response. We again see Jesus leading with influence in a very clear way. You can follow along. Listen to Jesus in Luke chapter 18, verses 24 and 25. Jesus looked at him, looked at the ruler, and said how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. Indeed, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. Our English translations of our Bibles could probably do a little better here. Because Jesus really did not say that the rich, that the rich had difficulty entering the kingdom of God. The opening phrase there is probably better translated like this. How hard is it for those with possessions to enter the kingdom of God? Money isn't the problem. Dependence is. Power is. And right here in this chapter, it's influence that wins the day. The lessons for us, I think, are pretty clear. And there's a couple of them. There's probably more than this, but here's the two that I see. The first one is this. You and I, we need to trade power for powerlessness. The kingdom of God is a kingdom of freedom. Our own personal talents of acquisition and earning and doing, you know this, they have their merits. They have their necessary merits. But they are actually impediments to believing in Jesus as the Messiah and Savior. 
personal power is not transferable into the kingdom of God. That's the first thing. And here's the second thing. We need to trust grace instead of greed. I don't know if you know this. Just a few verses later, you find out that the crowd here, they were offended by Jesus's teaching. They knew the impossibility of camels going through the eyes of needles. They couldn't do what Jesus asked of the ruler either. So they asked Jesus who then could be saved. Their question though, born out of frustration, was a gateway to grace. Jesus told them in Luke chapter 18, verse 27, that impossibilities become possible with God. The king, he's the one that sets the parameters for entrance in his kingdom. And it's the king that empowers the deficient with the pathway to citizenship. In this battle between power and influence, influence wins. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this interaction in the gospel of Luke. For Jesus who diagnoses not only the spiritual malady of this ruler, but he diagnoses our own spiritual malady, what bothers us, the things that keep us from you. Give us the ability to trade our power for powerlessness and to trust your grace instead of our own greed. We live for you in all things, and we pray this through you and in your name. Amen.